Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. We know that adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, can lead to long-term health issues as adults, but we're just beginning to understand the impact that trauma has on a child's ability to learn during the critical early years in school. The good news is researchers have identified strategies that help these students learn, and they are beginning to be implemented in public schools across North Carolina. Today we're going to talk with two leaders of the North Carolina Resilience and Learning Project and hear from principals from Eastern North Carolina who are rolling out these game-changing initiatives in their schools. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Last week, State Treasurer Dale Falwell ended his standoff with the state's hospitals and healthcare networks as another deadline came and went and most of the state's hospitals still refusing to sign on to the Treasurer's new plan and reimbursement rates. Without the hospitals and networks on board, about 97% of the participants in the state health plan would have found themselves out of network for medical coverage come January 1. The new deal will let those healthcare systems and other providers that didn't sign on keep their existing agreements with Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina that administers the state health plan. It's been seven weeks since Governor Cooper vetoed the state budget passed and offered a counterproposal, yet the state seems no closer to having a final budget. Last week, Republican House Speaker Tim Moore said he won't stop trying to cobble together enough votes to override Governor Roy Cooper's veto, even as Democrats insist the votes to uphold it are solid. Unlike the previous six years, Republican majorities in the House and Senate now need Democratic help to overcome whatever Cooper vetoes. Finally, our state's top teachers, including the current North Carolina Teacher of the Year, Mariah Morse, took flight last week, literally, with the U.S. Army's Golden Knights. The teachers parachuted to raise awareness around key education initiatives they identified. That's Mariah right there on your screen. We'll have links to their causes on our website. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines, as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, research has proven that exposure to various kinds of childhood trauma can affect our health into adulthood, but more recent research has shown a big impact on students' ability to learn in school, and we have two experts who are working with schools to address this critical issue. To my left, we have Elizabeth DeConti. She is the director of the North Carolina Resilience and Learning Project, an initiative uh, at the, of the Public School Forum of North Carolina. Next to her, Dr. Katie Rosenbaum. She is a senior research scientist, Duke Center for Child and Family Policy at Duke University. So thank you both for being here. Thank you. Welcome back, actually. You've been on the thank show you. before. We're so glad thank you so here. much. All right, so let's. Um, some of our viewers um, maybe have seen our previous show. They know a little bit, perhaps, about adverse childhood experiences. But let's start there first with you. I'm going to ask you, uh, Dr. Rosenbaum. I guess first, talk to me about what are ACEs and sort of you know what does that mean when we talk about childhood trauma in that way. Well, so adverse childhood experiences were first studied like 20 years ago and really included child abuse and neglect and household um, instability. So a parent with substance abuse or mental illness, a parent incarcerated. But really, we've started to understand that adversity spans to community violence and poverty and racism and just all of the significant stresses that kids can experience. Right. And so and, and so what what we did learn about, um, and the end, this was the 20-year-old study, Kaiser Permanente did mm -hmm. it. I mean, they were you know, a health care provider. They were looking at 
long-term health effects. So we learned a little bit about what these, these showed up in adulthood, right? Exactly. And so what we're seeing into adulthood is not just um, outcomes that have to do with academic outcomes, but also um, social emotional stability, um, all the way to health outcomes like cancer or stroke or heart disease. Right. Now, Elizabeth, where you come into the picture, the, the program that you're running um, is really looking at how these adverse childhood experiences show up in school. What do they, I mean, what do they look like? I mean, children that are dealing with these trauma, what does it look like in a school setting? So when we talk with schools, really three big areas we know that this has an impact on students in the classroom related to learning and academic outcomes, um, their behavior, and then ability to form positive relationships both with the adults in the building as well as with their peers. So you, so you have been working, I believe now, for about two years um, in some schools in North Carolina. So, so where are you working and sort of give me the sort of scale. I mean, this is obviously we have 115 school districts and hundreds of school districts, but sort of where is the, the project right now? So right now, um, this year, with our getting ready to start our third year of implementation, we are um, doing our larger intensive model in eight districts across the state, and then there's about 10 to 12 other districts that we're doing some level of training and consultation with. Um, many are in the, the east, but we have districts all across the state that we've worked with. Well, and, there's, and, and there is a reason. I mean, I think one of the reasons why, uh, you know, that you focused on eastern North Carolina, and, and Katie, you sort of uh, alluded to it, um, poverty itself, which is again more prevalent in in the poorer parts, a lot of those in East North Carolina, is actually one of the adverse childhood experiences and can kind of build on that, right? Absolutely. And then to to, to compound that in the East, you've got uh, hurricanes, the natural disasters that they've been recovering from, and that really just stirs it all up. Right. So so okay. So now we so we sort of a little baseline of sort of what they are, how it shows up in schools. So what does your project look like, sort of how does sort of implementation look like in a school? So two main components. The first is doing some training and professional development with staff around all the things that Katie talked about, what ACEs are, what trauma is, and the impacts that we see um, long-term, but specifically in the school setting. And then the next piece that really uh, makes our project a little different is we kind of take things to the next level with a coaching aspect. So we work with schools. They each form a resilience team, essentially a steering committee, and one of our staff works with them for an entire school year um, to really help them create an implementation plan of now that we know what trauma is and what the impacts are, what are we going to do about it and what strategies and changes are we going to make? No, I mean, it's, are, are you trying to, I mean, are you trying to train staff to be able to recognize children who are dealing with specific trauma so that they can get individual help or is it, is it I mean, what, I guess, what are you trying to accomplish within, you know, within that training? Yeah, it's not really about identifying um, what students specifically are dealing with, but more um, the strategies and the things that we talk about in the teams as well as the trainings as a whole are beneficial for all kids. Um, just ways to make school a safer, more supportive environment. A lot of it is about um, how to create stronger relationships between staff and students so that when kids come into the building, whether they've experienced trauma or not, they feel that it's a safe place that they have an adult that they trust and feel safe with. We, um, we're sort of talking about this show and promoting it as trauma-informed schools. Um, Katie, what, does, what, does, what is the process of truly being trauma-informed? I guess it sounds like right. from um, Elizabeth it does start with education. It starts with training. I mean, everyone has to understand the basic ideas of what impact trauma has. I mean, it has a changes on your brain and your body that really get into the way that you behave in the school. But being informed about that is not sufficient. You have to use that information to inform every single thing that you do in the classroom. And it's about keeping the expectations high for kids 
but building the structure and support around them that they're able to rise to those expectations and they have what they need to succeed. Do we know that, I mean, you mentioned, um, and I know from talking to you in the past, uh, you mentioned about our brain gets sort of rewired. I mean, I think we all, I think everyone watching the show knows what it's like when you get you know, sort of sudden, suddenly frightened or something, mm -hmm. you know, you get almost getting a, a car accident, some other kind. Yeah. And it takes time to calm down, but the, the, the science shows us that that can actually become kind of sort of your natural reaction to everything. And your thinking brain literally turns off. So in that moment, you don't have language, you don't have the ability to problem solve, you don't have all of those executive functions that you need to make good decisions and, and behave the way you need to in class. And it really can get in the way without enough support to help kids calm down and move forward. Can they do that? I mean, is this something that, I mean, have, are we, can we see those children who are dealing with these kind of things, can they be, you know, sort of brought into sort of, you know, a, a more constructive engagement within the classroom? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, when we, when you talk with the principals who are coming on next, you'll hear some of their stories about how just small changes, focusing on relationships, um, uh, just kind of that shift in mindset can make a really big impact with individual students. Now, you're one of the things I know. You're sort of, you're one of the key research partners with this with this project. Um, it's still early days yes. in a lot of ways, but I mean, what are some things that you, I guess, key learnings or things you're yeah. already sort of feeling that you know? Well, we're starting to see numbers of suspensions go down, number of disruptive behaviors, and, and office referrals. But um, what I really notice is I go to the schools and I walk through them and I notice just the feeling and the relationships and the connections and everyone feels more confident that they're going to be successful with the day. And I think one of the main things that we've learned is we've got to start with the teachers and we have to help them have the support that they need to let, let, take care of their stress so that they can move forward and support the kids. Well, I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, I don't know if you call it almost like, it's like secondhand smoke. I mean, secondhand, yes. is that such a thing, right? If you're, if secondary you're, stress, secondary absolutely. Secondary stress. Of absolutely. Of, and it's exhausting being a teacher and the amount of support they need, I mean, they need it or else they're not gonna be able to do their job. To, to make this kind of a cultural change, a sort of shift, I mean, it's obviously not a one year thing, right? Absolutely not. It's an ongoing thing and it really takes leaders who want to invest and want to prioritize and focus on this day in and day out and keep the attention on how do we connect with kids and how do we support them. How important is that leadership, both of you, on the, in terms of the school? What are you seeing? Extremely important. I mean, you have to have that buy-in from the top and um, have them really serve as the champion with the rest of their staff to bring everyone on board to make these changes. So they have to commit to it. And it sets it, the tone, yeah. absolutely. Well, we're, we've got we've got our next two guests are actually two, uh, one assistant principal, one principal who I yes. think you've both been working with uh, for the last year. So we're going to find out a little bit more about their experience working directly with this program and find out what they're seeing. Said, but thank you for uh, for sort of educating us and our viewers uh, on the on the basics and uh, you know, come back and talk to us again. Thanks soon. for thank having you. us. Thanks so much. All right. After a brief commercial break, we'll be back to continue our discussion about how we can help students who are dealing with trauma succeed in schools. But first, see if you can answer this question. True or false, the prevalence of adverse childhood experiences in the U.S. is highest among black, non-Hispanic children. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer true? Uh, according to the, the National Survey of Children's Health, the highest prevalence of adverse childhood experiences in the U.S. is highest among black, 
non-Hispanic children. Joining us now are, are a principal and assistant principal from Eastern North Carolina who are rolling out trauma-informed initiatives in their school. We have to my left, we have Jessica Parker. She is an assistant principal at Phillips Middle School in Edgecombe County Public Schools. Next to her, Mr. Roderick Tillery. He is the principal of Baskerville Elementary School, Nash Rocky Mount Public Schools. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having us. All right, well, first, I just, I, first of all, I just want to understand where you are and, to, and tell me a little about your schools. I'm going to ask you first, um, uh, Jessica. So tell me about uh, Phillips Middle School. Oh, man, Phillips Middle School is the best place to learn and experience love and belonging. That's what we anchor ourselves in in our 2019-2020 school year. We are a very small but mighty school in Battleboro, North Carolina. We have about 140 students serving grades 6 through 8. One of the, I guess, most unique and special parts about our school is that it was the historic all-black high school of the area okay. before um, integration. So we do have a very strong alumni base that comes back to our school often and definitely enriches our students in our community history. Well, there's a lot of special history like that in Edgecombe County for sure. I know, yes. and unfortunately, and we're going to do a show in a couple of weeks talking about hurricane season, and a lot of that comes up during hurricane season. So it's not, listen, we're not going to think yes. bad things about, uh, about Edgecombe this year. Well, I'm going to ask you, same question for you, Mr. Tiller. Tell me a little bit about Baskerville Elementary, Nash Rocky Mountain Schools. Uh, Baskerville Elementary School um, is an outstanding school. Uh, we have about 400 students uh, there. We are located on the Edgecombe County side um, of Rocky Mount. So just very unique. We're part of the Nash Rocky Mount School System, but we, our school physically sits there. Um, our mission statement simply says that the Ville is the village that makes the difference for you, me, and everyone today and forever. And so we constantly want to be reminded we're making a difference in students' lives every day. When we think about our student body, um, even though we have about 400 students, probably about 98% of that student body um, is African-American. Okay. Um, and then um, the other 2%, I would say, we divide amongst the other um, races. But we have um, an outstanding student body, outstanding teachers who are committed to um, the resilience um, movement to make sure again that we're providing the best opportunities for our students every single day. Well you just you mentioned you just mentioned about the uh, the race of your students and look I mean it's not it's no secret I mean Eastern North Carolina has you know has been you know a more economically depressed area for sure. for, for, for decades and we've seen a mm -hmm. lot of structural changes. I mean what is like at Phillips for example like what is uh, sort of the makeup in terms of like free and reduced lunch is it a, would you is it considered like a high poverty school? Yeah Phillips is definitely considered a high poverty school. Our demographics are 75 percent African-American about 20 percent Latinx and then four percent um, white and then one percent two or more. So in our free and reduced lunch, we have a, currently have a grant program where it's free for the whole entire mm -hmm. school due to the percent of the school of that qualifies. Right. We're the same way. Yeah, and, and, and the reason why I ask that, I mean, and, and partly, just, again, I want to just sort of set some base on it, is because, and you already know this, or you probably, it's also become something that we've learned about through this journey around resilience and mm -hmm. trauma, mm -hmm. is that poverty itself um, um, the, and the things that come with it, uh, food insecurity, home insecurity, mm -hmm. joblessness, mm -hmm. sure. the stresses on the parents themselves. I mean, and, yes. and, and can create, those are all things I'm assuming, but don't, I don't want to assume, you tell me, are those things that you, your students are experiencing? So sure, every, um, when we talk about the ACEs, each one of our students um, in some form or fashion have had some experience with some type of trauma. Uh, so when we think about it from a resilient standpoint, 
part of our concern or, or initiative is to address those aces, how to help students overcome. You know, we don't have the power to really go home and change home. But what we do have the power to do is to make school the best place to be. So that when they are, when they're at school, they don't have to be um, traumatized by some of the things that's outside of the school. So we try to put uh, things in place such as um, for our students, if they need uh, like a comfort corner or a timeout corner, we've uh, created some nice uh, comfortable areas that students can go and have a timeout. But then equally, we've tried to provide um, care for our staff. Um, so through this initiative, we have tried to put some measures in place that teachers need um, some type of self-care. If they find that they're becoming overwhelmed, because even adults have trauma as well. Well, that's what Dr. Rosenbaum, she, she was one of the first things she said that, uh, in fact, from the schools that, um, that Elizabeth has been working with, staff self-care tends to be one of the top things they want to do because of that. Or mm -hmm. Is that something that you, you saw as well at Phillips? Oh yes, very true. We um, recently implemented a self-care station for our staff that mm -hmm. we have at every every meeting we have where you can give gratitude, you can have layer like mints, there are essential oils there. Mm -hmm. We even today, today was our first day of school. Okay. And so today we even, at the end of school, we asked all staff to take 15 seconds to make a commitment of how they were going to take care of themselves today. So from administration, it is very important to us and we we bring it back to our staff because they have to be full mm -hmm. in order to pour into our babies. Right. Now, when, when this, when this, this, the potential to work on to become part of this project and to work on on the resilience and learning. This, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly how it came in. If it came in uh, as something that uh, the district office said, "Hey, this is something you," or was it something you were you were looking for? But I guess I'm going to ask you first, um, um, Jessica. Was it were you? Did you buy in right away? Did you get it? Or was it something you didn't know that much about it? Or you sort of tell me a little about your journey. Um, through uh, the NELA program, which I was a part of, we did get some experience with adverse childhood experiences and learning about trauma-informed practices. But we kind of got the theory. And so with the Resilience and Learning Project, I was so excited. Like, I was chomping at the bit. Like, I didn't miss a meeting <laughs> because now I knew the why. Now I needed to know the what and the how to make an impact and to make a difference. And with the Resilience team, we had... Uh, highly educated intellectual people in that field come train our teachers, give us information, and help us design practices in our school that were trauma sensitive and that did build resilience in our scholars. Besides, besides the staff, what are some of the specific things that you have implemented in your year? So you finished one year now. Yes. What are some specific things that y'all have um, have done? We implemented, um, I guess our biggest project was check-in, check-out. We started piloting it with a couple of students who we had flagged as needing intensive support. And what does that mean? What do you mean, check-in, check-out? Checking out. Well, check-in, check-out is where we know that part of resilience is critical awareness and being able to feel like you have a purpose. And so they were setting a goal every morning with an adult that they cared about. Then they had to set the goal, and then the goal got checked in each period, and they got rated. And then they came back at the end of the day to check out with that same adult, and they looked and they looked at their progress, and we had conversations with them. And this was a way for us to begin to encourage all of our teachers to give positive feedback about a goal and saying what you can do next time and what you did well this time on that specific goal. And it really helped our students see and appreciate their progress and begin to set more and more goals for themselves and beginning to do it independently well. And it well. sounds like that's about a relationship deal because oh, you're, yeah. it, it is about an, having an adult. And there, so the, what I'm envisioning, and maybe in, 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 tell me if I'm wrong, you're literally looking at a child, so where are you today? Like, mm -hmm. is there something, is there something mm -hmm. I need to know today? Did something go on, mm -hmm. did something go down last night? 
that I need to be aware of so that I can sort of make sure that you have uh, as good a day as you can have? Exactly. Mm -hmm. It was the first thing in the morning and last thing in the afternoon where we wanted students to have that space to be able to be in a small group, which was very important, and build community and be able to express themselves with that adult. And that adult also was their person throughout the day. So if they did feel overwhelmed or need help regulating their emotions, mm -hmm. they knew they could go to that adult and that adult would help them. Right. Mr. Tiller, same question mm -hmm. for you. So what, give me some examples. What have y'all been doing in the, after, during your first year? So during the first year, we have worked on the check-in, check-out, certainly with the students, working on building um, close relationships between students and mentors uh, within our building and even from the community. We've worked uh, on tap-in, tap-out, and that tap-in, tap-out was for the staff. So again, if the staff member felt overwhelmed I need some something, help, right? Yeah, okay. they would saw, uh, have a tap-out um, system in place where they could ask for assistance. Um, we've worked hard on making sure that even from an admin stance, that we really took into account the needs of the students and what the students may have been experiencing that led to um, you know, whoever may have brought them to our office. So I'll, I'll just say, backing up to a question I think you asked Ms. Parker, um, where I stood with resilience. Um, in the beginning, it came to our school by way of our district office. We were invited to a meeting. Um, six of our schools um, were going to put in resilience. Mm -hmm. um, Baskerville happened to be within the first year of this implementation. And so I was a little bit um, concerned because mm -hmm. I felt like it was just one more thing that was being added okay. to the plate. Yeah. I felt like, okay, this is another initiative we're just going to put on the plate. My teachers are real overwhelmed with so many things, so here's just one more thing. Um, so I was <laughs> resistant <Okay>. to resilience. <laughs> but I will say that um, through the training, through working with um, all the professionals who came in to help us out, and just watching our staff transform, watching our students transform, I've um, found that it has been a phenomenal uh, program to bring into our school. And I won't just say program, a, a phenomenal um, way of transforming the way we do business. That's and great. so I can say for myself, I've even um, approached things differently as from an administrative point of view. Uh, just making sure, again, we're truly meeting the needs of every one of our students, right. not just the academic needs, but the social needs well, as well. well. But the, the, your stories have been terrific. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. really want to understand how it sounds like you both, you're in. You're ready oh, for, yeah. you're oh, sure. ready for year in. two. You're ready. <laughs> All right. Well, ready. well, thanks so much. And, and look, congratulations on a new year coming on. Thank you. Yeah. For, thank you. And thank you for what you do every day for thank North Carolina's so children. Much. Thank you thank so you. much. After the break, this week's final word. When I personally began studying adverse childhood experiences and their impact on education and learning back in 2015, I had a very simplistic understanding of childhood trauma. Probably like many people, my mind immediately went to child abuse, whether it was physical or sexual abuse, and of course I knew that lifelong damage that causes, but I did not think about poverty or hunger or home insecurity or an incarcerated parent. I mean, in retrospect, of course my view should have included those things. When you have a trauma-informed lens, you begin to appreciate how much emotional damage so many children carry with them to school every day. 
Researchers like Katie Rosenbaum, who you met, help us understand how prolonged exposure to trauma affects our ability to focus and process information. My buddy Freebird McKinney, the most recent North Carolina Teacher of the Year, talked often about Maslow's hierarchy of human needs when it comes to students. Maslow said the foundation that everything rests on is having our basic survival and physical needs met. If a human doesn't feel safe in their world, nothing else matters. That's why much of the best resilience work in schools revolves around relationship building and helping children feel heard and valued. That's it for this week's Education Matters. Thanks for joining us this week, and we're going to talk to you next week. Thanks so much.